Hey listeners, there's a few naughty words in this episode, so if the kids are around, turn it down or listen later. Also, this episode contains content that may be difficult to listen to if you or a loved one were on board the ship, the Everest, for the return leg of Voyage 2 of the Australian Antarctic Division's resupply mission in 2021. (sighs) Shit. You know that things can go wrong, but you don't actually really know till they do. Well, I think that's when it hit me, the devastation. There was just nothing left. The purpose of this email is to inform you of an incident that has occurred on board MVP Everest this afternoon. I felt so vulnerable out there, just not being able to help. Listening to episode four of From Afar. If you haven't listened from episode one, things might not make sense, so perhaps go back and start from the beginning. I'm Laurie Uden, and I'm on a quest to find out if there's an elixir to the challenges of long distance love. You see, my husband Sean is currently half a world away from me in Antarctica, amongst the pack ice, the penguins, and the whales. I'm in the tropical city of Darwin on the northern coast of Australia, living in what sometimes feels like a funny sitcom. Pardon? Actually, I think it might be a bilby. What? A rat? I think it might be a bilby. What? Where? In the shed. Come on. Hang on. What did you see? It might have been a bilby or a rat. I don't think we have bilbies in Darwin. Or a quoll. Well, it could be a quoll, but they're quite endangered these days because of the cane toads. Then it must be a bandicoot. You think it's a bandicoot in the shed? Yeah. I think we just leave it in the shed. But I don't... But I saw a cane toad in here. Are you worried that the the bilby come quoll come bandicoot is going to eat the cane toad and die? Yeah. Oh, well, I'm not sure what to do. Other than worrying about rats, bilbies and quolls, the kids, Matilda 10 and Saxon 9, and I are really ready for Sean to come home. In between driving boats for the Australian Antarctic Division, or AAD, to help resupply Davis and Mawson stations, we get glimpses of Sean's experiences from his WhatsApp messages and audio diary entries. It's just absolutely stunning and unique and harsh, so brutally harsh. Goodness me. I really, really appreciate, well, I can't really appreciate how the early explorers got to this country and survived. It's just so incredibly harsh. Oh, whales just come up in front of me, right in front of me. <laughs> wow. There, look. That's super cool. But while Antarctica and its creatures continue to impress all on board the Everest, it's been a longer-than-expected voyage. They haven't been able to reach Mawson Station due to a band of sea ice about 80 nautical miles wide. 
So rather than do their normal resupply operations using barges and small surf boats, they're using helicopters to transfer people and cargo between the ship and the station, which is taking a fair bit longer. In fact, I don't know how long it might take. There's a lot of cargo to transport. We try to keep our spirits up and stay connected by sending lots of photos and messages. But the uncertainty around the return date is really hard. Yeah, it's just starting to feel really long. You know, the pictures of the kids that I've been sent... I can clearly see that they've actually changed since I've left. They've got bigger, you know, their facial features are actually evolved and changed in the short space that I've been away. And it's, um, I'm ready for home and I'm not the only one. You know, the expeditioners that have come out of Davis and Mawson have been away a really long time and uh, they're definitely ready for home. So it's getting long for everyone. also feeling like a really long stint for our kids, who are either teary and sad, missing their dad, or playing up, niggling at each other or at me. In fact, we're all a bit over each other, and I feel like I've turned our home into a house of rules. Could you pick that up, Tilda, and put in the shed? And Saxon, did you end up feeding those dogs? Could you do that now, please? I don't care who does it, somebody feed the dogs. I feel like all I'm doing is cracking the whip and nagging at the kids. It's getting very... boring. So, I decide to do something for myself. Something to spice things up a bit. So I have just done something completely out of the box. I have just done, for the first time, training for kickboxing. I'm really excited. It was so much fun. Something that I would never have dreamed I would do. Don't know why I am doing it. Maybe it's because Sean's doing something really different and fun and amazing. And maybe this is my little bit of different and fun and amazing. Anyway very excited. But kickboxing is not helping with the longing or the uncertainty of a return date. And then... Guess what? What? I've just come in out of the cold. I've been out on the back deck since 05.30 this morning, tying down barges and putting away helicopters because we've officially turned around headed for Hobart as of right now. Oh, really? Yep, so we're on the way home officially now. Oh, that's such good news. Yes! We are punching through the ice pack right now and we should poke our nose out into the southern ocean well, either, I would say by tomorrow morning. Wow! Dad? Good news, isn't it? Yeah? Dad? How long should it take from about now until you get home? About 14 or 15 days to get to Hobart from here. 
Yes, so you'll be here for Mum's birthday. <laughs> um, well, hopefully. Hopefully. All right. Love you guys. Love you. Nice. See ya. Love you, Dad. Bye. See ya. Love you. Bye. Bye. Oh, that was cool, kids. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. I popped the cork on a champagne bottle to celebrate that night. The longing and loneliness, the hard work of soul parenting, the never-ending jobs and juggle, will soon be shared between the two of us again, and I can't wait. But it will take at least a couple of weeks for the ship to traverse the Southern Ocean from Antarctica to Hobart, and I'm done with structure and routine. We need a change of scenery. So it's pretty noisy because we're on Kakadu Culture Tours bus. bus. Well, it's not a bus, it's called an oka. Did bus? you know that? An oka. It's a type of like four-wheel drive bus that we're on. And we're on a tour called the Uvia Combo Tour, which is run by this company who's owned by the traditional owners here in Kakadu, the Binning Mungai people. And we're really excited because we're going on a cruise through the Majila wetlands and you can only do that at this time of year, right in the middle of the wet season, when the road up to Ubi is flooded. And so we get on a boat to travel where the road usually is. Are you excited, Matilda? Yeah. What's the matter? A bit nervous, just because I don't like boats. It's not boats you don't like. What is it you don't like? Quackies. Crocodiles. Hope we get to see some today. Uh, We're going to see some beautiful rock art. That'll be cool, won't it? Yeah. I'm at the top of Ubia in Kakadu, overlooking the floodplains of the East Alligator River. And it's just stunningly beautiful. And I'm just trying to have a moment on my own up here to connect with this amazing country. Kakadu was just what the doctor ordered. The kids and I arrive home feeling refreshed. It's Easter. And now only a week or so until Sean will be home. It's Easter morning. The kids made me promise to wake them up at 5.45. Hence the horrible alarm. So I'm just going to try and wake up for a few minutes and then go and wake them up. Seems really crazy waking them up. And I'm really tempted to leave it, but I don't want to be such a... too much of a boring mum all the time. Oh, I can hear footsteps oh hello I woke up and my clock says 
face to my son. Come here. Happy Easter. Mm. The kids and I have a beautiful, relaxing Easter Sunday, and I have time out of the busyness of everyday life to think about our long-distance stints so far. There have certainly been times where I've felt despondent, missing my husband, and moments I've got frustrated, yelled at the kids and then instantly regretted it. But overall, compared to the last couple of times he went away, I feel like I'm more resilient, a better parent, happier. I don't really know why exactly. I can't put my finger on it. I just feel like he's not as far away this time. I grab my recorder, pop the phone on loudspeaker and press record, like I've done dozens of times over the past few months. I wonder how close he is. Maybe he'll have an exact arrival date home. So what, so t- t- tell me what happened. So what, you're not, the ship's not actually um, working at the moment? No, no, not at the moment, but um, they are saying that we should, should have machinery at the pardon again, so, um, Fuck. but yeah, obviously there's pretty serious, we were told that the Antarctic Division were ringing on everyone's families, so I didn't want you to be frightened, so, um, Holy shit. How are you feeling? Are you are you feeling like are you scared? Um, not now, but most certainly we were. Um, yeah, there's lots of people that have been um, upset and traumatised by it all, that's my dear. Oh god. You haven't got power. So are you um are you freezing? Like is there um no, no, there's not uh, there, um there's power on some decks. We've got emergency light in, in the room. Right. And um, there is some generator power. We're all good. We're safe. The fire's out. So where where are you, hun? Right. I just want you to come home. Yeah, not as much as I could go on. I can tell you that. Oh. Yeah, it was like a long way away from anywhere at the moment. Oh, Dallin, I don't know what to say. There's nothing to say. We're all good here. Mm, we need your home. Yeah. Right, eh? mm. Yeah. Mm. 
Yeah. Oh, sweetheart. I love you. I'll talk to you later. Love you, sweet. See you later. Bye. Bye. Oh, shit. Oh. You know that things can go wrong, but you don't actually really know till they do. I take one really deep, really long breath. And go inside and cook my kids dinner, smiling and asking them mundane questions. All the while, my insides are in chaos. I can't quite believe what I've heard. My brain feels sluggish. And I feel bad that I didn't say the right things to comfort Sean over that scratchy WhatsApp line. It feels like he's on another planet, over a week away from help. I wonder if he's telling me everything. I could hear in his voice that he was protecting me. He feels so far away. Um, audio recording is burning a hole in my pocket. I feel like I've got to do a debrief about what's taken place, but I'm sort of not sure where to start. I don't really know what to convey, but I guess I'll just start from what happened and... Yeah, goodness me. Lunchtime? No, it was before lunchtime. I was um, in my room with leathers and the fire alarm and PA went off announcing there was a fire on the ship and um, followed by this is not a drill, this is not a drill. So yeah, we quickly jumped, sprang into action and grabbed the immersion suit, life jacket, survival suit. I already had my personal... um, emergency procedure sort of down pat I'd run it through it plenty of times in my head so grabbed all my gear went out to the forecastle and then um, it was very evident that there was a major fire on board so I've just received an email from the Australian Antarctic Division I haven't read it yet it says good evening all The purpose of this email is to inform you of an incident that has occurred on board MVP Everest this afternoon and to assure you that everyone is safe and well. As communications from MPV Everest can be patchy, we wanted to contact you directly and pass on this information as soon as possible. Just after 2pm this afternoon, there was a fire in the vessel's portside engine room. The fire was contained and has been extinguished. The ship retains power and is still underway. MPV Everest remains a safe haven and has many redundancy systems in place that are fully functional. 
it's a safe haven? What does that mean? And what are redundancy systems? The email went on to acknowledge what a difficult time this is for families and to offer support through the AAD's Liaison Officer and Employee Assistance Program. I feel huge relief knowing that the ship is back underway, meaning that it has some propulsion. And I really do appreciate the information and concern expressed by the AAD in the email. But it also adds to the whirlpool of thoughts spinning in my brain. Am I allowed to tell anyone? Do I even want to tell anyone? Should I tell the kids? I Google redundancy systems and safe haven and engine room fire. Meanwhile, on the ship, it's eerily quiet. The sounds of the ship creaking and groaning seem magnified. Not knowing what else to do, Sean and his closest workmates, Adam, who they call Leathers, and Jamie, the albatross expert, who we heard from in episode three, try to make sense of what had happened. Today is the 5th of March, is it, Jamie? It is Monday the 5th of April, mate. 5th of Jesus Christ. It's been a long day. Yeah, it feels like a month in one Yeah, day. it does a little bit. And we're just in my room and we're watching a movie with Leathers and Dr Jamie and me just winding down after a massive day. I was just thinking that um, it's such a nice relief to sit here in the comfort of others right now after having a pretty big traumatic experience, really. Um, From where I was, birding up on the bridge to see a big ball of flames coming out of the aft exhaust was, Mm. um, well pretty frightening and I definitely had that um is it that flight or fright response I mm. think I had the freeze response initially yep yep yeah I kind of turned to run to get my survival gear and looked up and saw Captain Yarn on the intercom calling out this is not a drill that kind of shook me awake a bit yeah and then to see Chunky, our voyage leader, screaming up the stairs as I was screaming down. And I started to... The brain started to work then. Yeah. <laughs> How about yep. you, Sean? Well, me and Leathers were curled up in here watching <laughs> the first half of the movie that we've tried to watch today. And um, when their muster alarm went off, both of us kicked into gear and quickly he went one way and I went the other. We just bounced. bounced. We just looked at each other, gave each other the nod, and um, yeah, from there it was go, all go, 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 wasn't it? Yeah, um, we fired up. And I guess you have lots of things running through your mind when that's happening, but immediately I was like going through my little evacuation plan and what I needed to get. What was going through your head when you were heading for the muster point? As soon as I left Sean's room, I could smell smoke straight away so it, it got quite real very quickly yeah um you know, and most of the time when you when you you get an alarm it, it is a false alarm isn't it yeah. just and then by the time i got to the muster 
that was reported that was an engine room fire. Yeah. I felt so vulnerable out there, just not being able to help. And then I guess the hardest part from there was just standing there at the muster, not knowing exactly who was fighting the fire, what they were fighting it with, what stage of the procedure they were up to, whether or not everyone was accounted for. Yeah, that was the hardest bit for me too. Yeah. And then also looking around at your workmates and you could see the fear on yep. some people, you know, and um, there was people in tears out there. There was definitely nervous moments when we were waiting for the, the count, wasn't there, to see that everyone was safe. Oh, my heart beating so fast and trying to have those thoughts and then having a few jokes to kind of calm everyone down. And, yeah. And, yeah, that was a really intense time in the folk song. I think um, because we use humour and because Mm. we work in remote places and work in potentially, you know, challenging environments Mm. that we just downplay these kind of things even now. But this Mm. one is a big thing. It is a big thing. We're very lucky that they were able to isolate it to one engine room. That is Mm. unreal. Yeah, and it's not over yet. That's the thing I think for a lot of us is like we've got this anxiety going on yeah without a doubt like it's dark outside there's four or five meters of swell we know there's possibly more weather coming there's definitely some machinery damage yeah i don't think i'll sleep my body is really tired yep but my heart's a little bit still in my mouth (laughs) yeah yeah my heart is in my mouth too in fact i'm finding it hard to talk I haven't told anyone about the fire. I haven't called my family or Sean's family or a friend. I just can't. I'm not sure anyone will understand. I go to bed, scared and exhausted, with my phone by my pillow, just in case. It's nearly midnight. I've had people in my room all night. I'm trying really hard to be positive when I'm talking with people and my room's a busy room lots of people are calling past to debrief there's been lots of tears and guttles and people were genuinely worried for their future today and um it's hard to think positively and and be positive and we've got an enormous way to go we're over 2,000 nautical mile from Hobart, 1,700 nautical mile from Fremantle. And I've been up the bridge and I'm really good friends with the uh, weather forecasters who work for the Antarctic Division. They've been busy scrutinising weather patterns and there's another big weather pattern potentially a day or two away and they mentioned figures of 10 to 15 metre seas.
morning. Can't sleep because it's rough outside. Genuinely, I suppose, frightened about what the next few days is going to be. ships rolling from side to side (sighs) the thing that's worrying me the most probably is that we've got heaps of weather coming Slaving. the next morning and strangely everything is the same the kids are still arguing over who feeds the dogs the birds are still singing and I have to go to work today I'm recording an interview for Beyond Blue with Senior Australian of the Year Dr Miriam Rose Ungamir Bowman Miriam Rose lives in a remote Aboriginal community called Nayu near the Daly River It's a three-hour drive from Darwin, and I'm not really sure I'm up to it. Plus, I'm worried about being out of phone range in case something else happens on the ship. But I don't want to let people down, so I drop the kids to school and start driving out of town. Little do I know that meeting Miriam Rose will help me get through the next few days. She was really insightful, really generous, uh, really funny... And I loved meeting her. We got chatting afterwards and I happened to mention that my husband's in Antarctica and she said, oh, at Casey Station? I said, well, no, he's on a ship and helped to resupply Davis and Mawson Station. She said, oh, well, I've been, been to Casey. I said, what? She said, yeah, yeah, I, I went down in the 1990s uh, as an artist. She was chosen um, there was two Aboriginal artists in Australia that were chosen and given, given a, a ticket to go on the Aurora Australis, the icebreaker, the Australian Antarctic Division's icebreaker at the time. And she did the journey down that Sean's just done and she went and lived on Casey Station for a week while they resupplied the station. And then she did the journey back. So she knows exactly what it's like and it was really comforting to talk to her and I did tell her that the ship had had a fire yesterday and that I was really worried about Sean and she said that 
to talk to the ancestors and that she would talk to the ancestors for us, for the ship and for Sean and she assured me that everything would be okay and it was really lovely and I do feel calmer now. three-hour drive out to Nayu and back was actually really cathartic too. The quiet, open road, the fluorescent green of the spear grass, sand palms and cycads as I whiz past, the three snakes I narrowly miss. Nature is good for my brain. As I drive beneath the washed-out, endless blue skies, I think of my friends Natesh and Silpi who I chatted to back in episode three. Originally from Nepal, they now live in Darwin. I remember that they shared with me how they felt in 2015 when a 7.8 magnitude earthquake hit their home city of Kathmandu, where their families were. I search for the audio track on my phone and play it through my car stereo as I drive home. Tell me what, what it was like being so far away. Oh, it was it was really terrible. I, uh, as you know, when you even pick the topic up, I I still get the goosebumps. It's it's really um, something that you you don't want to think about. You know, it's uh, at at that time when the phone was not working, you're not communicating with anybody, and you don't know what's going on, what's happening, and the the feeling of helplessness for not being able to do anything that's terrible that's yeah i i can't even you know i don't even have word to explain that thing it's it's terrible and what did you do straight away when you you found out yeah we couldn't speak we couldn't think like it was kind of a standstill situation so Yes, and and then lucky we had a family in Nepalese community. We came together and then uh, we all worked together to counsel each other, help each other, support each other. And then finally, uh, after a month, I guess on 22nd of May, we flew back to Nepal. So we, we went and stayed there for a month with the family. Um, with uh, family-wise, emotionally, we were all in a different, you know, very scattered in a different place. Um, in terms of losing family, I think we were lucky. We, you know, not, nothing really happened in terms of the family. But um, my side of the family, we lost our uh, family home. Um, you know, it's it's really difficult to cope with that emotion in terms of the the home where you were born when you were brought up, and it's not there anymore, and you can't even see, and you cannot be with your family just to in that difficult situation. You know, just to counsel each other, it's it's really difficult, and so the basic thing is to talk you know you have to share your emotions you have to talk about how you're feeling and at the same time you have to know what the other peoples are feeling as well you cannot go on your own you need to have people around you i need to take silpi's advice and call someone share what's happened Ask for support. 
But who do I call? My mind is scattered and hesitant. Will they understand my worry? Or will they just say, it's okay, the fire's out right, he'll be fine? I don't want to hear that because at the moment, I don't know if he'll be fine. What if they ask what's happening down there? How big are the seas? Are all the engines working? Does Sean have power in his cabin? I don't know the answers to any of these questions. I think of Miriam Rose, how she held my hand and said that she'd talk to the ancestors, how she assured me everything will be okay. I calm down a little and stop worrying about calling someone. Maybe I will tomorrow. Right now, I just want to hear from Sean. But the phone is silent. I try to call and message him, but I can't get through. Seventh of the fourth, Wednesday, a couple of days after the fire. We're currently about... 1,600 nautical mile or 1,500 nautical mile from safe port, which at the moment they're trying to make their way to southwest WA, Frio. And their course has altered according to the direction of the swell and the weather uh, that has to guide the safety of the ship and how it's rolling. If everything keeps going as planned and the direction and speed that we've got currently going then we'll receive the tail end of a really big storm cell that is forecast for about 10 metre seas and really strong winds so we need everything to go really right ship's really rolling now and we've only got about four to five metres of sea and it's supposed to build over the next sort of 24 hours and tomorrow afternoon, tomorrow night we're expecting horrible weather so we really need everything going in our favour to get in front of this weather system so I just cannot help feeling really quite frightened about what's in store for the next sort of two days. Hello? I can't hear you, love. I don't know if you can hear me. Damn it. Let's see if he rings back again. It's really stressful at the moment when I'm not getting messages or phone calls from Sean because I start worrying that there's been another fire or the generator's stopped or the engines. Anxiety is quite high. Yesterday I didn't hear from him for the whole afternoon, which usually he's just sending me little WhatsApp messages to let me know that he's okay. And so... Uh, three o'clock this morning, I still hadn't heard from him and woke up and couldn't go back to sleep, but did finally get a message this morning saying that he was okay. I'm really careful not to 
speak negatively or with any sort of pessimism about the voyage and with Laurie as well because there's no point stressing family and loved ones at the moment because it's totally out of theirs and my control. I've had a couple of missed calls from and messages from my old man and my sister and I've been um, putting off getting back to them because, again, I don't want to worry them at the moment. So I think I'll just um, avoid getting back to them until I know we're clear of this storm and then I can safely give them a buzz and say I'm nearly home. So anyway, just go over my own evacuation and emergency plan and keep everything crossed that... um, We're getting close to the end of the voyage. We just need to get through the next couple of days. It really frightens me. (sighs) But I'm trying to stay positive. I'm trying to keep my mind busy, keep my body busy. The best thing I did tonight was an hour and a half of this kickboxing training where it's actually mentally really quite hard you've got all these different combinations of kicks and punches and elbows and so you don't you can't think about anything else the only thing you can think about is sparring with your partner and making sure that you've got your gloves up and making sure that you are doing your combinations right for instance You know, there's the six combination. And so you do that really fast, like jab, cross, hook, cross, uppercut, cross. And then, of course, it's really hard physically. And tonight was actually probably the hardest physically that I've found it. I was really gasping for air, (laughs) which felt great. So anyway, an hour and a half of relief, of not worrying, because I couldn't think of anything else. But unfortunately, even with the physical exertion, sleep fails me. I'm really exhausted. I don't know how people send their partners, their loved ones, to other dangerous places and occupations. It must be so scary and so confronting to really know that there's a chance they won't come back again I don't think I really understood that before now so yeah I'm just trying to record how I'm feeling right now I'm exhausted I'm overwhelmed I really want Sean on dry land obviously I really want him home but more than that I just want him off that ship And, it, and my mind sort of kicks into this podcast and, and I really do I wonder how people do it. Now my neighbour, Vicky over the road, she's, a, she's an older lady and her husband was in the Vietnam War. I wonder how she did that. Well, Sean going to Antarctica is nothing like Lenny, Vicky's late husband, going to the Vietnam War. I feel like Vicky will understand how I'm feeling. 
So I invite her over for a cup of tea and, other than Miriam Rose, she is the first person I tell about the fire and my fears. She does understand, completely, and is happy to be recorded while she tells me what it was like for her when Lenny was away during the war. Um, I lived with my parents at the time. We didn't have any quarters or anything, and I had a baby. And uh, it was pretty trying. I was worried about him all the time. We wrote to each other quite often, and, uh, but he never told me the horrible things. I still, to, the, to this day, I don't know too much of it, only what I've heard in conversations with himself and his mates and, and uh, but I knew he was in danger quite often. Mm. How often could you send and receive letters? I could send them as, um, I used to write them, compile them and they, they were sent through the army and uh, I, I would get a whole stack or he would get a whole stack in one, in one hit. That must have been pretty special when you got your stack of letters. Yes, it was good because then I knew he was back in and safe and writing, yeah. And were there times that there was long periods where you didn't receive a letter? What was that like? Um, it was awful because I didn't know what was happening. Yeah, it was pretty I, – I didn't know whether he was still alive or oh, – I would have known if he, was, he passed away, I think, but just – it was awful, just waiting. Mm, the uncertainty and waiting must have been terrible. It was, was. While we talk, another neighbour, Rhonda, drops in for a cuppa. Rhonda is the mum of one of my best friends, Michelle, and has been a bit like a Darwin grandma to our kids over the years. We press pause on the recorder and I tell her about the fire too. And then she tells us about living through Cyclone Tracy. I have my audio gear out so I ask her if I can press record. She's a bit nervous, but keen to share her story. Rhonda, can you remember where you were during the cyclone? We'd actually planned to go out to like a Christmas Eve party that to friends in Stuart Park. By dinner time, it was really pouring with rain, and we decided we weren't going to go out. And then so by ten o'clock, you knew that it, we knew that it was going to be it was serious. But Michelle will tell you this story, and she probably has, but Michelle, honestly, she's just the most perfect baby I ever had, I think. Um, I put her to bed at the normal time, probably 7.30 or 8 o'clock or something, in, in her bedroom in her cot. She was seven months old, and she slept through the whole thing and did not wake up once through the whole night. Well, that's probably a, a huge blessing for you not to have to worry about her. Yeah, but we were um, we were shoved in. We were just sat in the um, hallway, you know. Like we we sat in the hallway because the 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 wind was just howling and it was banging on the on the front door, and it was just like that you couldn't hear yourself speak. The noise you could hear you could hear things blowing around outside, and and um, the water was coming underneath the door. It was pouring out underneath the doors, and it was coming in the eaves and and running down the um, the walls. Um, and so the, we thought the safest place for us would be just in the hallway because we're, you know, we had both the um, you know, walls around us and that's where we virtually sat and we couldn't even talk. The noise was so loud and this went on for hours and hours. Like I think about three o'clock the eye came over and 
it was just like eerie quiet and silent and so we all sort of went outside and you could hear people up the street yelling out are you okay and and now we spoke to our neighbours and said you okay and and we were lucky when I think about it and then then it just all started again and then um, we had, we came inside and I think by it was about like six o'clock before it actually died down I was really scared you know like and just wondering you know what nurse going on out there you know like it was so loud but but when we woke, when we got up in the morning and went outside, and our street was quite good, you know. But that morning we had um, special friends out at Moyle, and um, so we decided, I don't know, sometime during the day that we'd go out and check on them. Well, I think that's when it hit me—the devastation. There was just nothing left. There were no leaves on the tree for a start. It was eerie quiet because even when we came home, there were no birds in the tree, you know. And then we, ha- so we had a caravan out the back, and the the um, top had. Off, but so it was a bit wet inside. But we we had a, there was a gas stove in there, and I'd had a turkey thawing out for Christmas. So that morning on Christmas morning, I cooked roast turkey and thought, may as well cook it. Mm. Yeah. Wow, what an amazing, um, oh, you know, incredibly scary but amazing experience to live through. Yeah, yeah, it was. And when we heard later, you know what most people had to go through with their houses blowing around them and it's just like we really didn't have anything to complain about. We were safe as really and we were so very lucky. And like Michelle, she slept through it. Well, children are still traumatised, I think, now that went through that cyclone, but she knew nothing about it. So, you know, that was a good thing. It was really comforting to have these two older women with me sharing stories about near misses and traumatic experiences in their lives. The resilience of both of them shone through and gave me extra oomph to think positively and draw on my own strength and resilience. I haven't told the kids yet, though. Each time I try, my mouth goes dry and I can't. How will they react? Will they feel scared? Will they ask questions that I don't have the answers to? Will they want to talk to their dad? I want to talk to their dad. And then my phone starts beeping and buzzing as friends and family start to contact me. The story has hit the media. Far from help or home, this is a seafarer's worst nightmare. On Monday, flames engulfed an engine room on board Antarctic resupply ship MPV Everest. The blaze destroyed equipment and forced the vessel to limp home using just one of its two engine rooms. It was the second fire on board the ship this year and multiple investigations are underway into its cause. Um, Good morning everyone, my name's Charlton Clark. I'm the General Manager of Operations and Safety at the Australian Antarctic Division. Earlier this week we provided an update to outline the serious uh, incident that occurred on the MPV Everest on Monday afternoon where a fire broke out in the engine room um, which also destroyed two small vessels on the deck of the vessel. It's encouraging that all expeditioners on board and the crew, all 109, are safe and well. But obviously this has been a traumatic experience for everyone on board. Each time I hear a news report or someone sends me the footage of the fire that's doing the rounds on social media, I feel like another part of me fragments. I'm depleted. My heart is icy cold. I don't answer the phone calls or messages. I don't have the answers to their questions. 
all the energy to deal with their concern. I still can't get through to Sean. But I have to tell Matilda and Saxon. What if they see the news or someone asks them about the fire at school? So I sit them down and try to sound happy, confident and relaxed. I manage to keep it light and pretty brief, just telling them that there was a fire on the ship, but it's out now and Daddy will be home soon. They go off to school happy and worry-free as the ice in my heart hardens and cracks. I'm feeling like I never want him to go to Antarctica again. Just please, somebody, God, higher being, somebody, don't send big seas and storms their way. I'm functioning in a daze, like a blurry dream. I'm really scared all of the time, but I'm doing my best. I go through all the motions, smile when people ask about Sean and the ship and answer, yeah, there's been a fire, but it's out now and he's okay, I think. But actually, I don't know if he's okay. It's been three days since the fire and I haven't heard from him for the last 24 hours. No WhatsApp call or reply to my many, are you okay, honey, messages, nothing. I can't reach him. I need him home, but I don't know how to get through to him. All I can do is wait. Next time on From Afar. You actually feel useless, and I think that's probably my biggest fear, is that I I like to be needed and I, I really struggle. You should see their little legs go across the ground. You wouldn't think they'd go that fast, but then they flop down on their belly. Well, I reckon we got so used to being, like, doing our own sort of thing. And things go through your mind. Lots of what-ifs. Lots of prayers. I feel like I've trained all my life for that, so if uh, King Neptune allows... Um, we're going to see through it, you know, and everything's going to be all right. You can find out more about this podcast at our website, fromafarpodcast.net. There's some beautiful icy Antarctic photos and a place where you can share your story with us about living and loving long distance. From Afar was created and produced by me, Laurie Uden, with some help from my husband, Sean, who recorded the sounds and interviews in Antarctica. I couldn't have done it without Cinema Nippard, who produced and edited the podcast, and Hamish Robertson, who mixed it. Big thanks also to Johanna Bell for her invaluable mentoring And of course to our two kids, Matilda and Saxon, for allowing me to record their lives for more than just a few months. If you love the music, look up Darwin Singer-Songwriter and now music composer for podcasts, Serena Peck. 
additional ukulele track from Dominic Reslak. Thanks also to Josh Smith for sharing his whale sounds. A special thanks to Jamie Cleland and Adam Leatherbarrow from the AAD who share their memories and feelings in this episode. Big hugs to all the expeditioners and ship's crew who were on the Everest at this stressful time and to their families, of course. If this episode has raised any feelings that concern you, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Big thanks also to Nitesh Raj Pant, Silpi Dungana Pant, Vicky Allen and Rhonda Jones, who you heard from in this episode, and to the Australian Antarctic Division and Maritime Construction Services for their support. From Afar was created on beautiful Larrakia land and was produced with funding support from the Northern Territory Government through Arts NT.